This is AutoLine This Week, the show that gets you inside the global automotive industry. Underwriting for the production of AutoLine This Week has been provided by RSM. For challenges specific to your business by working with trusted advisors who help turn obstacles into opportunities. Experience the power of being understood. RSM, audit, tax, and consulting for the middle market. And now, here's your host, John McElroy. I want to thank you for joining us on AutoLine this week. Today we're going to be talking about the best vehicles that were introduced for the 2020 model year. It's all part of the North American Car and Truck and Utility of the Year Awards. And we're going to be doing that because I've got three of the jurors that are with us today, including Paul Eisenstein from the Detroit Bureau, Mike Austin from Hemmings, and Drew Winter from Wards. And Good to have the three of you here today. Good to be with you. I I want to start talking about the utilities that were introduced in the 2020 model year because there were so many all new ones that came Mm -hmm. out. But let's really concentrate on the three finalists. We, the jury, 50 jurors who have whittled this long list down to the top three finalists, which are the, the Lincoln Aviator, the Hyundai Palisade and the Kia Telluride. Paul, let's start with the Lincoln Aviator. Why did this make the finalist list, in your opinion? I think it was a real showing by, by Lincoln. Um, so we are officially not supposed to reward a brand for really making a comeback. The reality is it'll always influence you when you see a brand that really surprises you. And the fact is that Lincoln has done some really surprising things over the last year or so. This is a brand I think most of us probably would have written off, if not for dead, then just sort of uh, uh, figured it was in the, uh, you know, in the uh, off-ramp. And today it is showing real signs of vitality, and no vehicle, I think, has done it more effectively than the Aviator. Okay, and we'll get into more of the details. Mike, let's get your opinion on why this made the finalist list. You know, um, it was, it's, it's, it's an overall execution. You know, like it's, it, I, the, the Aviator actually makes me think of the Explorer because that was one of the surprises for me that didn't make it. Uh, in, in my personal opinion, if something, you know, shares something with the mass market car when you talk of, of the year, the, the, there's other reasons to like the Explorer, but, the, you know, that gets a little bit of a nudge. So that was a surprise for me. But overall, you have this great platform, this great chassis, and, and like Paul said, you get in it and you're like, wow, this is, you know, they've done, they've been doing things for, they're doing things well for a while, but this is one where, a bit like the Navigator, but I think to a greater degree, you get in it and you go, okay, this is, this is at the top of, of its class, like, you know, as soon as you're in it and you understand. And there's a lot of fine detail about it I like too, even, even just the seating position and the belt line. You're sort of back to that old school pickup feel where you're on top of a car looking over the dash uh, as opposed to the older, or not older, but the current thing with SUVs where you're kind of in a cage. This, this had that kind of feeling where you're like uh, a little more open and airy. Um, you know, just every, and, and all of those things add up. There's all these little things about that. Like, you know, it rides really soft in a good way. You're like, you know, I'm driving an SUV. I don't need to be carving corners. I want it to lean in the corner and I want it to be isolating and quiet on the highway. And that's, it does all of those things well. It's really a pretty superb overall offering. It's something that U.S. automakers really know how to get right is that, you know, CUVs and SUVs are the most popular vehicles in the world now. 
um, the body style is very practical, and it's also become a status symbol now to be able to sit up high and and uh, feel in control of the environment and what's going on. And, and Lincoln has just done a tremendous job of then turning the interior into this, you know, really luxurious space. Mm -hmm. And better when you look at, at, at folks that have struggled like Cadillac, you know, who still don't quite understand this isn't, this is about really coddling the consumer and then having all this, um, this environment now with voice commands and, and touch commands and everything that really people really find attractive. It, it yeah. came together across the board and there, in some ways it was classic as Mike mentioned, going back to some of that early, uh, the, the early elements of SUVs, you like that high seating position and all. I was also impressed with uh, the fact that they took a leap forward in an important way with the hybrid engine, the plug-in, using that as the highest performance technology. And I think we've all discussed in various events one way or another that if you're going to get electrification to catch on, it really needs to play up more, particularly in the luxury segment, than just getting better mileage. Performance is something that if electrification does well. And they nailed it with the, uh, with the uh, uh, aviator plug-in hybrid. Well, too much, too often times, hybrid has come to mean something that's underpowered and, and no fun. No joy to drive. This yeah. is exactly the opposite. Right, exactly. So when you say no, no, this is a really fast hybrid, you know, you're turning into, I think they're sort of rebranding the whole hybrid issue uh, or, or uh, label. And, and, you're, you're, uh, you're and it's going to work. I think yeah. you're right. And, and in fact, at the LA Auto Show, just jump out for a second, the RAV4 plug-in hybrid, the most powerful RAV4 right. ever introduced yeah. and fastest. So uh, Lincoln is actually helping lead the charge, pun intended, <laughs> with the plug-in hybrid going in the direction that the whole industry is going. And we haven't seen Lincoln really at the cutting edge for ever, yeah. Not, been for a, a long time. Yeah. What I really like, about, and, and uh, the aviator really shows this on the interior, the, the attention to detail, and your mm -hmm. eye reads it instantly as soon as you get in. There's a lot of bright work. There is a lot of detail just in the speaker grills in the door. Yeah. There's that piano key shifter, you know, yeah. where it shifts differently or you, you press the button in, in a very different way, but it's very intuitive and easy to find. And boy, all this works. As soon as you get in the vehicle, you immediately feel like you're in the lap of luxury. Yeah. Okay, let's move on. Uh, Kia Telluride. Mike, why did this make the finalist list? Uh, this is, again, I think we're, we're speaking of Here's, a, here's an automaker or a brand that's been doing things well for a while, but this seems to be like a breakthrough. You know, the Telluride is their first real big three-row offering, and it just it, it nailed it. In, in a lot of the ways that the Lincoln did, but, you know, at a, at a slightly lower place on the market, but, you know, the interior is excellent. It's super clean. It's super easy to use. All of the switch gear feels right. You know, it's got a ton of space. It, it feels good. It just... Um, you know, you get in it and you go all of a sudden, you, you look at other three rows and you, and you think that's a pretty much a settled market, you know, with, with people at the top and, and, you know, you can come in and maybe get in the middle and Kia comes in and you go, wow, this is really good. I had one for a week and uh, yeah. the whole week it just kept going, I think I really like this. I think this is really good, you know. True. Mm -hmm. Well, I think the, the only confusing part is that, um, you know, Kia is part of the Hyundai Corporation, so they're on the same platform as the as the Palisade, but they have done really a 
great job of differentiating the two products. So, I mean, that's why I'm sure they're both on the list is because they're both really this um, game-changing vehicle at the price point they are. And you look at the, you know, you look at what people are paying for three-row, big three-U SUVs, it's, it's 75, 85, you know, uh, close to $100,000 for things like Suburbans and, and, and uh, um, uh, uh, Tahoes and things like that. Kia, uh, Kia, and the Kia has so much content, so many new features where you can actually have an intercom system where you can talk to people in the back, you know, in the third rows. They have, uh, they have done such a great job of looking at the family buyer that, that you know, is looking at this. Yeah. Um, and um, great technology, great ergonomics, um, and, you know, the, all the, the large display screens, everything about that vehicle really works, especially at the price point that yeah. they're, they're being offered. Yeah, you've, you've hit a couple of critical points here. One, one of the things that uh, I, I like about what they've done with features like the large screens, like that intercom system and all, they have acknowledged in some ways that SUVs are the minivan of this decade uh, by taking the things that people miss about minivans, yeah. all those family-friendly features, and recognizing, no, you can't put sliding doors and you need more style to the, the design. So it is the minivanized SUV, if you will, recognizing the type of buyer it has, bringing all the right things in. Uh, and overall, it's just a solid vehicle. We didn't expect the price is right, the look is right, yeah. the performance is right, which, by the way, fits in with everything that that Hyundai Kia Motor Company is doing. Uh, the only reason I had a surprise, which will lead us into the third vehicle, John, yeah, is ahead. because if we look historically at how NACTOY vote, NACTOY jurors vote, we have a tendency when we have near-identical vehicles from essentially sibling brands, Chevrolet and GMC very often, uh, we often split the vote. You know, a lot of times, well, I'm going to vote for the Chevy, but not for the GM. I'm going to give all my votes to one brand or the other. And I thought that neither one of these would make it, or just one would, because it would be, uh, everybody would pile their votes on one or the other. The fact that the two are there says just how good and these the two vehicles are. Say, Hyundai Palisade. Exactly. Kia Telluride. Same platform. But very different looking, yes. very different feel. I think the uh, one's a little more sporty, one's a little more luxurious. It's probably the, I don't know if you guys agree, I think it's probably the best effort they've made at differentiation between the two brands uh, since they essentially got together and started sharing platforms. I think that's the best anybody's done in terms of, you know, you go into, you know that it's the same platform, similar interior, yet they've created, I mean, if you look at the form lines of the instrument panel and, and everything else, it's very different for both vehicles. Yeah. And, you know, you just don't, it's not like you really see, oh, they just put in some different materials or whatever. Mm -hmm. The whole shape of the instrument panel, everything is different. Yeah. Where, where uh, uh, various controls and everything are located. The controls are different. Um, you know, the, the buttons and things like that, but they're all, both done in a really great attention to detail, really aesthetically pleasing, and, and both of them have a premium feel. And we had this with, with we've gone through with our 10 best testing for interiors or for anyway for our user experience. We had the same sort of dilemmas. How do we 
do do we pick them both or 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 uh, you know do we just pick one yeah. both really good products well i think that that differentiation speaks to for me i was a little surprised of the hyundai i thought i would get in it and say well this is the same as the tire ride i really like the mm -hmm. tire ride yeah. they're both when we had the a comparison drive where we have all the cars lined up i got into them uh, pretty close to each other and and the, the hyundai was so different that I, I kind of, uh, it was a surprise for me to make the finalist list. I like the Telluride better for a lot of uh, tiny reasons, but, but the fact that, you know, what you essentially would assume are the same in some of the voting is probably, for some people, was different, and yet they retained all of the, the good things uh, that they share, like the, you know, the camera, if you turn on the blinker, it shows you either side of the blind spot in the instrument cluster. You know, that's shared across it. It's not, they're not keeping anything from one or the other, but they've just made them yeah. completely different vehicles. It's really yeah. surprising. Oh, and another thing that I should point out, too, is it's really important to these family buyers with kids and everything, all the plugs. You can go in the third row, uh, you know, you can Still plug in plugs. your devices yeah. and everything. I mean, just all those type of, of uh, again, features uh, for everything, but always very thoughtful in terms of how the vehicle's going to be used, who's going to be using it. Yeah. Really terrific. It, it, Funny it, if you're talking about USB ports and all yes. that throughout the car. We used to be talking about cup holders. Oh, yeah, as if right, it wasn't yeah. that swell. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, basically, these days, you better have two, two USBs and, for each cup holder, it seems like. Uh, but if I were anybody in the industry right now, probably the only automaker shouldn't be absolutely scared fill in the blank, yeah. of, of Hyundai Kia would probably be Toyota, and only because they have suddenly really gotten their game going and have a lot of product. Yeah. Uh, the Detroit automakers, uh, it's good to see, for example, Lincoln start to really surprise us, but uh, the other Japanese automakers and even the European luxury makers, um, you look at the Genesis, which of course we saw, I don't mean to get into another program, but yeah. you look at the Genesis G90, which we saw in, in L.A., and the game of those two brands is going up so rapidly that I think they deserve to be rewarded. They are really surprising everyone. Yeah. You know, as I mentioned at the, at the beginning, there was such a long list of new utility vehicles that came out in 2020. I'm a little bit surprised at some that didn't make the mm -hmm. finalist list. Mike, what about the Audi e-tron? First all-electric from Audi, got all kinds of headlines and everything. It looks like the, the jury kind of shrugged at it. Yeah, I was, I was into the e-tron myself. Um, I think it, the thing that I liked about it, I think maybe the reason why it didn't make the finalist list was that it's really normal. Yeah. You know, it doesn't, it, it, it's not set up for one-pedal driving. You can have some regeneration, but it drives, the, the brake pedal is your main method of slowing down versus some other electric cars. You know, it's quiet, it's composed, it, has, it looks fairly normal on the outside. It's essentially an electrified Q5 at a price point that's, that's pretty competitive with other gasoline SUVs. Even Which is more or less what? 70,000 okay. 70, and up. Um, and I think, I think maybe that's what it was, was it, it didn't feel special to some people, you yeah. know, or it, it flies below the radar. Well, I, I, yeah, sorry, Joe. Okay, well, uh, and the two things that bothered me were, uh, I think our tester model was like 85,000 or something like that. But anyway, it, it was, but high price and the range was only about 200 miles, yeah, something just, like that. Just yeah. over. Which, you know, battery technology is going so fast now, that's too, that's not enough. It's, it's funny, it was only about two years ago that we were all saying 200 is going to be the, the cutoff point. Yeah. You have to do it. And now 200 is too low for many people. Yeah. Uh, of course, in the Midwest, we know that because that really means about 100, 120 miles in, in the winter. So, uh, yeah, that, that is a problem. I think that was a single 
biggest thing that turned off people. I had a long conversation on the drive with a lot of their executives and spoke last week with their head of design, uh, Mark Lichty, exactly about the issue of it not being a distinctive standalone SUV, and they're in. You, they're it doesn't electric. look like an electric. Electric, yeah. yeah. Uh, their idea was to make it as normal, quote unquote, as possible, so people would feel comfortable getting it. They were going for the people that were going. I don't know about all these weird-looking vehicles and weird things. I have to learn how to one-foot it and all. I think that strategy is a sound argument. I don't think it was the right decision. I'd agree with you, because sales don't look that great. No. So they, they should have gone some other way. Um, hey, let's talk about some of the other uh, categories and, and vehicles, because I'd like to get your guys' uh, impression on that. We did another show a week ago that got into this, but I want to get uh, your look at it, too. The trucks that were the three finalists uh, include the Ram Heavy Duty, the Ford Ranger, and the Jeep Gladiator. Uh, why don't we start with the the Ram Heavy Duty, Drew? Why why did it make the final list? Well, well, I mean, just Ram is just killing it in in, in tr pickup trucks. I mean, they're not. I mean, they, they are no longer work vehicles. They are. I mean, they they are, they do work, but with uh, average transaction prices of forty five thousand or fifty thousand, and and then when you get into the heavy duties, you're 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 clipping. You're getting close to six figures. Um, Ram really puts the value in great design mm. and also fantastic interiors. Right. Just really gorgeous interior, which tell you it really is a luxury vehicle with these incredible, you know, towing capacity. I think the heavy duty is like 20,000 pounds. Like I mean, a, enormous towing capacity. But when you're, people are, uh, I think these are a lot of them who are buying, uh, you know, business owners and things like that. But, man, you just... Get into it, and it's it's a luxury car. I mean, with just all this wonderful details. And again, you know, the giant the giant screen is available. The twelve inch screen that gives you all the technology right. and and all the really the luxury and technology you get in a luxury car. But it's it's also you know has these amazing you know work capabilities. Mm -hmm. I, I I agree with you, and it's interesting that the Ram truck just won not just the the finalist position with us but also was named a green car of the year a green yeah. truck of the year for the second year in a row the first time that's ever happened with them this vehicle is hitting it out of the park in so many different ways uh, what's the number i believe 32 miles a gallon for the 1500 with the eco diesel so this is this is a very interesting case ram is getting all sorts of awards and it's knocked chevy off of its perch to become the number two best-selling truck in the united states well, well that's on the light side we're, we're talking the specific heavy duty these are truly work trucks yeah and, right and it, it did get the work truck got or the heavy duty just got motor trends truck of the year for I mean, yeah. The 2020. It was announced in November, and I mean, I agree with Drew. It's yeah. it's this. You're getting into seventy thousand dollars, and and it's almost like a recognition that these are luxury prices. And you're getting with Ram, you're getting this superb interior. That's you know really not just the big screens and the really nice layout, but um, you know really nice thoughtful design too. With you know things like if you have a the bench seat, that center console just you know holds all kinds of different stuff and has all these cavernous things yeah. in it. And um, you know the performance with heavy duties, it's getting into the realm of ridiculous and also the realm of uh, diminishing returns. You know, like what's what's another hundred pound feet? I 
I'm sure there's uh, you know a commercial hauler out there that's shaking his fist at me right now. But yeah. Yeah. but it is you know we're in we're in the realm of of pretty crazy numbers now with those, and I think that's I think you th I thought that would have been a differentiator, but when you drive the the heavy duty trucks that were part of the finalists uh, you know before we got to these final three. That part is more just, well, they're all kind of amazing. So with the Ram, what, what sets it apart is, is that the comfort and the interior and, and some of that design. Yeah. Next on the list, Jeep Gladiator. Paul? No surprise there whatsoever. I think they really surprised some folks. Uh, some folks expected that this was just going to be a Wrangler and bed, and it was a lot more than that. Uh, I had the chance to go out on their drive out in California. We drove some insanely tough roads or off-road courses and it just was virtually unstoppable and it has a lot of functionality. Uh, it, it's hard to argue against the vehicle. It's a bit goofy looking and that's why people love it, uh, but it just does what it promised. Yeah. Well, it just the, the uh, again, the usability of it, it has, um, you know, this, these wholly re-engineered rear seats in the back, and then all these lockable storage compartments all over. Yeah. And again, thought to how these vehicles are going to be used. You know, why are the, all these lockable compartments? Well, because it is actually kind of like a convertible, it's right? A you can take the roof out yeah. and go, and, and there's there's this tr trend where people really like to do this rugged camping with It's a truck. lifestyle vehicle. Yes. It's not a work truck. It's a lifestyle truck. Yeah. And so, you know, a lot of these folks, apparently they'll go, you know, they'll drive way out someplace and then they'll go, you know, hiking for, you know, maybe days on end and leaving the, the thing open and, you know, so they want to feel like their valuables or whatever are safe so you can lock up, lock everything up and just, mm -hmm. oh, there's just so many things you can do with that. It's, yeah. it's just, it's, it's the creativity of, of um, the designers at FCA are really having fun. Mm -hmm. the, the thing that surprised me about it most was how much better it drives than the Wrangler. The, the Wrangler, for, <laughs> for all of its character and for all of its sales, it really is not that great at, at just going from point A to point B if, if you're on pavement. Mm -hmm. And you know, underneath the Gladiator is completely different than the Wrangler, if, if it's not common knowledge. And, um, and it really shows. It, it yeah. drives a lot better. It's also convertible, which I yeah. love. The one knock is it is a little expensive. It starts about ten grand more than the fanciest base, fanciest trim level base price of the Ford, and you can I mean it's it's so that's like thirty five grand thirty four to start, and you can get well well above that, um, which is, you know I I think it's smart if they can pull it you know they're. They can sell it for that, but it is expensive. Well, so, you mentioned the Ford Ranger. What about it? Why did it make the finalist list? Um, you know, it's a it's a compact truck. It's a recognition that um, you know Toyota's been there a while. Nissan's had the Frontier for sale forever. Um, GM's been there with the Colorado and the Canyon. Um, but it's it's sort of Ford, who's the the half ton truck king, recognizing. And, and the argument was with the not having the Ranger was always well. The lowest price F-150 is as much as a Ranger would cost, and you're going to cannibalize prices or cannibalize sales. Um, the Ranger is sort of saying, Ford coming in and saying, like, wait a minute, we really think this is a segment. And it's, again, it's a really good execution. Here's a, here's a, you know, it's the right size. It's probably back when there were compact trucks 20 years ago, you'd consider this a midsize. Um, but it, it's a little bit of like, if a, if a full-size truck is too big for you, here's boiled down. Still has a ton of capability. You can get all the technology, including the driver aids like Adaptive Cruise. And, uh, you know, you get more fuel economy. It's, 
it's just everything that you, when you look at a big truck that says this is too small, the Ranger's not just the newest, but it executes really well. If anything, I was a little surprised uh, by the Ranger. I think it's a darn good truck. I didn't know if it was going to make the, the cutoff here. I thought it was a little short in a couple areas. And remember, it's based on a global platform that's been heavily re-engineered, but it's still not a truly all-new truck. Some of the foundations of that of this model go back, what, five, six years on the road overseas. Um, that said, one of the more interesting things to me of this of this pick of three models for the truck segment is that two of them are midsize. And that tells you that this is a segment uh, that is to be taken seriously. I mean, it was nearly dead five years ago, and now we have a lot of good offerings. And that is the one knock I'd give to the Ranger, is that it doesn't, it doesn't seem groundbreaking. Like you get in and, in and everything's pretty much expected. Yeah. It does it well, but there's nothing that blows yeah. you away like yeah. Like like Wrangler, uh, like uh, Gladiator. Yeah, but but I mean, yeah, we well we drive these things a lot in, in our jobs, and we, we can, I bring home these pickup trucks. They they are so big now. I mean, yeah. I think that, that the growth in the midsize is is due to the fact that the full size are getting so big that uh, you need something right. in the middle. Hey, we're we're getting down to the end here. Okay. I want you guys to give me who you think is going to win in Ooh. in the different categories. I'm going to throw cars into it. No analysis, no opinion, just who you think is going to win. Doesn't even mean this is how you're going to vote. So, Drew, we'll start with you. In the utilities, Lincoln Aviator, Hyundai Palisade, Kia Telluride. What do you think is going to win? Um, I'll say uh, Palisade. Okay. Mike? Uh, it's, uh, I'll go Telluride. Okay. I'm tending to say Telluride. That's not necessarily w whether I'm voting for it. Right, right. You just think that's the way I it's going it, to go? I think it may. I, I think that's the way it's going to go as well. Okay, let's talk about the trucks. Mike, we're going to start with you. There was the Ram Heavy Duty, the Ford Ranger, or the Jeep Gladiator. I, you know, it's another tough one. I don't know where I'm going to vote, but I'll go with the Jeep right now. You think it'll win, yeah. yeah. Paul? Yeah. Gladiator. Gladiator. Yeah, I, I think so, too. Okay, now we didn't get into the cars because a week ago we did a whole show just on that. The finalists are a Corvette C8, Toyota Supra, and Hyundai Sonata. Paul? Corvette. Okay. Corvette. Sonata. Somebody had to say yes. Sonata, right, Drew? <laughs> May as well be you. Well, look, this is really interesting. I can't wait for the announcement, and it's just around the corner of uh, who's going to win this thing. But I want to thank the, the three of you. Paul Eisenstein with the Detroit Bureau. Mike Austin with Hemmings. Drew Winter with Wards. Thank you guys for all your insight and for going out a little bit on a limb and predicting who's going to win. Good conversation. Thanks. And as I always say, loved having all of you tuning in. Underwriting for the production of Autoline this week has been provided by RSM. For challenges specific to your business by working with trusted advisors who help turn obstacles into opportunities. Experience the power of being understood. RSM, audit, tax, and consulting for the middle market.